0: hello hello and god bless and welcome to the blind By podcast episode 98 i've had a uh, a stressful couple of hours there trying to record this podcast my computer is acting the absolute bollocks uh, which means that i can only record in bursts of like two minutes before it shuts down so I have an alternative plan this week but uh yeah I I think I think I need to get more RAM in my computer or whatever but I'll have it sorted by next week but yeah I'm going to have to go to a backup plan but before I do that because I can record record the start in two minute bursts not a bother and edit it together um what did I need to tell you yes last week I announced that the Blind by Podcast Australian Tour went on sale, it did um, Melbourne is, Melbourne sold out in a day Perth, Brisbane Sydney are about 90% sold out, there's still a few tickets left so if you want to come to those Australian live podcast gigs in February 2020 you have, now is the time to get the tickets, like I said Melbourne's gone, but Perth Brisbane and Sydney, there's still a small amount of tickets left. And you go, go, go to troubadourmusic.com and go to the Blind by a Podcast section, or go into Google and type in Blind by a Podcast Australia, and I'm sure that will give you relevant um, fucking tickets. Uh, yeah, I'm pissed off with this computer business now. That's annoying. This is the nature of a podcast. You know, it's just me recording it myself, so shit goes wrong. And when shit goes wrong, it's my responsibility to respond to it in the moment in a creative a creative fashion. Have some backups, so I do. Before I continue with my backup plan, there is something I do want to speak about, something important I want to... Um, On the subject of direct provision in Ireland. Now, direct provision is something I do speak about quite a bit on this podcast. I had a guest, Ellie Kiziambe, um, a few podcasts back. She's someone who has lived experience of being in direct provision. If you don't know what direct provision is, it is an inhumane... uh, An inhumane set of human rights abuses, to be honest, that's occurring in Ireland for the past twenty years, where people who tried to claim refugee status in Ireland are essentially kind of a type of soft imprisonment. They're given a it's like a a low security prison. The people who live in direct provision, they live in like hotel rooms their food is provided from very low quality food they have very little autonomy they're not allowed to work um they get an allowance of i think it's 19 euros a week it's a form of political economic and social limbo and people are kept in direct provision in ireland up and down ireland for many many years there's kids now ...who have known nothing other than direct provision... ...not even kids... ...no there's people in college... ...of college age... ...who've grown up in... ...this type of... legalized prison system... ...in Ireland and... ...they've done nothing wrong... ...other than try to escape... uh, ...tyranny... ...or escape... ...whatever... ...in their countries of origin you know... ...so here's the crack... um, ...children... ...who live in direct provision... ...they go to irish schools you know they, they they're going to be attending school in september and there's a lot of these children and the thing is like i said their parents don't have money because if you're in direct provision you get 20 quid a week that's it an allowance so these children are going to be attending school a lot of them are going to come from quite traumatized backgrounds kids who've seen, you know, young children who've seen war in Syria or in parts of Africa who are now in Ireland living in direct provision and are going to be going to school they already are going to stand out as being different because they're from a different country or they might look different so they already have that when they go into school but the thing is is the most important thing that you can give these kids is is to train, facilitate them to have a degree of dignity okay when they go to school on the first of September we can try and help these children to not stand out any further right so there's a drive to provide these kids with school supplies backpacks clothes all these things so that they can receive these things go to school and Receive their education with with basic human dignity don't al- what I'm saying is don't allow these kids they're already different don't allow them to be put into a situation where their their clothes aren't the same as other people's clothes where their shoes aren't as good as other people's shoes their materials their books you know what I mean this is all a systematic thing that will there'll be little kids feeling less than and and feeling more different than the other kids in the class because they can't afford the basic needs of being in school. So there is an organisation, a Limerick-based organisation called Every Child is Your Child or everychildireland.org is their website. But anyway, there's a drive, a backpack drive 2019. And what I'm asking you to do, if you want to... Look, direct provision is, is, it's. we had the Magdalene Laundries in Ireland, which was a huge imprisonment of women in this country, and the generation before us pretended that it wasn't happening. Well, direct provision is, is our Magdalene Laundries of this generation, and we should all be trying to abolish it, but in the meantime, while well, it's not being abolished, to help the people that are living in it. So, I'm just going to list out some of the drop-off points if you're interested in buying some supplies for these children so that they can go to school uh, up and down Ireland what's being looked for is new back n- buy new things as well trying to avoid the look if you have secondhand things and they're in good nick absolutely fine but ideally new things because what you want to be thinking is how can I give this child dignity do you get me new backpacks stationery copybooks, lunch bags white shirts ...for boys and girls of all ages... Uh, grey and navy... ...trousers... ...and skirts... ...socks... ...white, grey and black... Uh, ...gift cards for Tesco... ...Duns... ...one for all gift cards... ...school jumpers... uh, ...navy, grey, black... ...these type of things... ...I know specifically... ...they have a shortage of decent... ...shoes and runners... ...at the moment, okay... ...so if you could... ...buy any of these things... ...okay... And what you do is you bring them to drop-off points. F- Friday, I think, is the deadline. Okay, this Friday, 25th of August. So if you do it before Friday, the 25th of August. Here's the drop-off points In Limerick, Doris Limney, 51 O'Connell Street. Also, you can go to the Students' Union in University of Limerick campus. You can use that as a drop-off point. If you're up in Dublin, Irish Refugee Council, 37 Killarney Street, uh, Dublin 1. Chocsullis, Victoria Place in Galway, Carn 16 Loch Italia Road in Galway, if you're in Clare, PPN, Clan Road, Business Park, Ennis, uh, if you're in Cork, The Flower Studio, 104 Douglas Street, County Cork, okay, um, like I said also as well you can go to everychildireland.org for more information. I also understand that it is possible... If you contact one of these centres... To send some of this stuff in the post... Okay... So... I'm just appealing to you... I'm just appealing to you to do that... That's... Oh Jesus... A wonderful act of kindness... That you could do... If you have a spare quid... A few quid in your pocket... To just... Copy books... Backpacks... Shoes... Whatever... And to know that this is going to go to a child and could change their life what, what concerns me is children at an age they're at an age where they're now forming their personalities they're tra- farming things like self esteem their perception of self okay not only are they battling with possibly coming from war zones they're battling with the trauma of living in direct provision which means they don't have a, re- a, a normal home life right so that's two let's not like school can be their little escape away from direct provision when when that child goes into school they will have a, a, a kind of a sense of freedom they're mixing with kids who aren't in direct provision and they get a little chunk of normal life okay so by providing them with good equipment and the things that meet their needs good quality stuff they don't have the shame of being the kid whose stuff isn't as good as the other kid's stuff. Do you get me? So please, please consider that. Please consider doing that. Alright. Um. So this week's podcast, like I said, that was 10 minutes there. I had to edit it twice. To go for the full hour would be absolute hell. So what I've done is... I was in, I did a Canadian tour there about a month ago, as you remember, and I recorded a little, a podcast on the side, in a park in Toronto, and it's just, it's it's like the San Francisco podcast I did a couple of weeks back, I used my stereo mic to... To capture the environment to get a sense of ASMR I suppose you'd call it a kind of a a relaxing environmental ASMR so this one in Toronto I wasn't sure about it at first but I listened back and it's not too bad like I I was going to put it out a few weeks ago uh, while I was in Toronto and I think I was a bit I was a bit too harsh on it so I didn't but yeah listen back to it I was just I was being a bit too critical was being a bit too critical about it it's just me talking ranting um with the sound of a toronto park going around me and judging by the feedback that i got from the san francisco podcast a lot of you really enjoy the change of just listening to this podcast in a different setting you know, it's some people told me that it was it was quite relaxing for him. So that's the crack. That's all I can do, really. If if my computer is acting the bollocks this week, and um, that's all I can do, because you know yourselves, I'm never going to not put out a podcast. I'm always going to put something out. So that's the crack. And if you don't enjoy it, I don't know. Go back and revisit one of the earlier podcasts. Either something you haven't listened to in a year or if you joined late just go back to one of the earlier ones there's plenty of stuff there Podcast 98 lads that is a lot of stuff to go back and listen to if you so choose and I'll be back next week with a a normal regular podcast Okay. without further ado here is me talking on a bench in Toronto about whatever arrived into my head that day hello Right, let's get into it. Welcome to this week's Blind By Podcast. As you can hear by the sound, I'm outdoors. Hold on, that's a little bit peaky. I'm going to turn down the microphone a little bit. One, two, one, two. Postman. Postman. Where is the postman? Brian is in the corner with the postman. Brian is in the corner with the postman. That's a little, uh... A mic checking sentence there that you do. You have to. You have to sound. If you're checking mics, you have to sound like a a Dublin prick, and you need to make very hard um hard consonants is what you're looking for. So, if I go, Brian is in the corner with the postman. I know that that's. I can test the mic that way. I've got the hard B from the Brian, and then P S and T from the postman. Even when I say P, there, P. It can be a bit too extreme on the mic. Brian is in the corner with the postman. Postman. So there you go. Okay, I'm over. I'm in fucking Toronto. Um, I've been here. No, I've been in Vancouver. For four days, I think. I just arrived in Toronto yesterday. If you've been following the podcast, you know I'm over here doing four gigs. Did... A live podcast in Vancouver. Did a Rubber Bandits gig in Vancouver. Did a Rubber Bandits gig in Toronto last night. Doing a podcast in Toronto tonight. Up the walls, busy. Um, I'd kind of I'd planned this to be like a holiday, to be like a little holiday because I brought over DJ Willie o DJ and Mister Chrome. My two compatriots in the Rubber Band Rubber Bandits to do some gigs. And we got lovely hotels, but I'm too fucking busy. I'm too busy. So, yesterday I had the pleasure of answering loads of emails and recording voiceover shit for the BBC in a darkened hotel room, while Mr. Crom and DJ Willie or DJ were upstairs on the roof of the hotel in the blasting heat, drinking cocktails and having an unbelievable amount of fun in the pool. So, yeah, that's the crack with me here. So I've squirrelled myself away to a little park. It's not even nice. We like we got a crack in hotel. It's like it's a f- really fucking fancy five star hotel, which uh, the people who brought us here kindly enough got for us. So it's fu- it's 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 magnificent, but it I don't know it's a little bit too fancy for us. I haven't uh, like when I was in San Francisco a few weeks back, and I was trying to understand San Francisco people. Oh jeez that's loud, what the fuck is that? It's a motorbike. What a loud bastard. So when I was in San Francisco, you know I was able to speak to people, get the lie of the land, try and understand the culture and grasp it a bit. I haven't been really able to do that as much in Canada. In Vancouver, like I said, gigging every day practically And working during the day. So not not a huge amount of socialising. And anything resembling socialising. We were pretty much surrounded by Irish people. So I haven't really. Gotten to speak to that many Canadians. I understand that Canadian people are. Particularly polite. That's what I've heard. In this fucking five star hotel that we're in. See that's not. That's not a fair judgement. Because it's. So it's this really kind of trendy. Five star. So it's not Like old money it's more new money I don't know people who work in finance or tech whoever's loaded so the bar on the upstairs of it we went there when we arrived just me Willie and Chrome and we were off the fucking plane Do you know we were wearing shorts and t-shirts like cause it's hot and so we go up to this fucking bougie bar at the top of the roof of this fucking hotel and it's it's not it's not really for the residents of the hotel it's more for local, young, rich I don't know, yuppies, what would you call them they they looked professional so it was a bunch of people in their late 20s, early 30s on dates and they were dressing kind of businessy even though it was night time but you could tell the lads were like wearing like Armani and Gucci suits but not because they're at work. It's just like, this is how I dress in the evening on a date. And then the women had just fucking, you know, the type of handbags. I, I know nothing about handbags, but I know if I see like a Chanel handbag, that's the price of a car. So that type of shit. Now we're minding our business. Sitting down in the corner, having our fucking pints. And the thing you notice, because when, when you're Irish and you go to a pub in a different country, and especially it's three Irish lads. The thing... The interesting thing with Irish... Irish people have an ability to to go to a bar... And we can make that bar better because... We'll scream and roar and laugh and have fun... But Irish people tend not to... In general... Be aggressive to other people... If we go to a bar... Yes, we will be loud... And... Drink a lot... And have crack... Crack... We will be having crack... That's the word for it. it... It's specific to Irish people it is crack and crack is something which if you were looking at it from a telescope might be viewed as a display of aggression but if you were looking at it up close you'd go no, no, no this is not aggression at all it's just um, a a kind of a culture of people who when we express ourselves we do it very loudly with huge amounts of uh, aggressive laughter and jumping up and down and singing and, and roaring Whereas... No disrespect to the Brits... But... It's something that's been relayed to me a lot... When... A certain type of British person... Men... Usually... When they go into a bar in a different country... They bring with them that colonial fucking attitude... So when a group of British men... Arrive into a pub... They're there to claim space... The Irish are... Like I said... Loud and create a spectacle... But it's all very much. You're never you never feel threatened by it. It's contextualised in fun, even though it might look like boisterousness. There's no malice or harm, and it's inclusive, and everyone's allowed in, and it's all laughter. And when you get Irish people in the mode of crack, it's very difficult for us. It's a cultural thing. It's it's almost it would be rude for us to turn that into anything resembling conflict or aggression that's the thing with crack if you want to observe it here, yeah, yeah look so here's the thing with, with, with the British men they will go to a pub they're similarly loud all this carry on but it comes with a, a claiming of space it's an old colonial thing a claiming of space and an aggression and a standoffishness and it can often result in aggro and that's why when you're Irish you don't want people thinking that you're British abroad the best way to view this, from a, as kind of a psychosocial point of view, you have to look at how the Irish fans behave in recent World Cups or in the European uh, soccer finals. Now, look, if you listen to pod- this podcast, you know that I know fuck all about sports. I know very little, but what I do know about is psychology, social psychology. I have an interest in it, so I often find myself hugely interested in the past the last world cup and the last European soccer fucking cup whatever you call it Ireland's actual soccer team or football team sorry the football team was uh, actually no soccer team no w- Irish people are allowed to say soccer because we have Gaelic football and you don't want to get too confused so Irish soccer team Um, were performing shit they weren't winning any matches we'll say so the, for the past 10-15 years when Irish people go to the World Cup or the European Finals or whatever you call it it's about community it's there to have crack with other Irish people and Irish people were going viral in the news for these huge displays of kindness the Irish people were being like the Irish fans were trying to be the best fans in the world and it was it was amazing to watch so what you had going viral on the news like two years ago is that you'd have all these Irish fans drinking in the street and jumping up and down and then they'd be doing things like there was one instance where the Irish fans saw it was a female police officer who they thought was attractive so they like all got down on their knees and serenaded her or the Irish fans would deliberately go out of their way to seek fans from different countries and to hug them and... You know, even if, if it means that this is the team we're playing tonight the Irish fans will go out of their way to seek out those other fans in the different jerseys cross the line and embrace them with hugs and cheers and let them know we're only rivals on the sports field but there's no aggression here this overt huge performative display of collective friendliness in the guise of crack and humour it's also very self-aware so it became ...isn't it how? not it so funny... ...that we are so friendly... ...that's what it was about... ...like one instance you had... ...Irish fans... ...ended up getting a little bit out of hand... ...and they were... jump. ...there was sort of like a thousand people in the street... ...and a couple of Irish fans... ...no actually it wasn't Irish fans... ...they were British fans I believe... ...got up on a car... ...and started jumping up and down on someone's car... ...on the side of the road... ...and the Irish fans saw this... ...and there's mobile phones ever... ...so this is all being recorded so when this car, this car had its bonnet dented which is, that's going to cost you a couple of quid to fix it so the Irish fans walked over to the car and they all took money out of their pockets and the window was open a crack and all the Irish fans started putting like 20 euro notes into the car but performatively taking generosity to hilarious extremes to the point that when you looked into this car now there was about three or four grand of cash the Irish fans had put into a car simply because the English fans had broken the bonnet and it was a collective, self-aware act of hyperbolic theatre whereby niceness, niceness became ironic and the Irish became the best fans in the world, to the point that Roy Keane got pissed off and said why do we give a fuck about our nice fans when our team is performing shit but to look at the behaviour of the Irish fans... Because what, what that is... What I, what I view the Irish fans' behaviour as... Is that it's... That's the crack. But it's the crack as it's... It's like an exploded crack. It's a hyper real crack. It's crack... Blown up to theatrical proportions. And it's uniquely Irish. And I believe... That what the Irish fans were doing... It wasn't conscious; it was a, it was a, in in the cultural unconscious, I'll say. It was a, it was an anti colonial act, right? Now I know I always bring everything back to fucking colonialism, and I am post colonialism th- colonialism this and post colonialism that. I know, but there was tension at these European finals and at the World Cup. Uh, the last one, the European finals, first off, there is always tension because of British football hooliganism hooliganism and violence and rioting is a toxic part of British soccer culture and it stems 100% from British colonialism they view themselves as an occupying army and when they go to Spain, when they go to France, it comes out in the British mentality of let's try and take the place, let's try and make it ours, let's pillage, let's plunder we don't have that Irish don't have that because that was done to us and we find that displays, we find it disgusting Irish people don't like British people, when Irish people go abroad and there's a soccer tournament on I, I don't mean Irish people don't like British people, That's I don't mean it like that, what I mean is Irish people do not like very much do not like that aggressive hooligan British type of hooligan display it's very triggering for us because it's like that's how the black and tans were that's how the soldiers were it's the same thing so when we see this over there the Irish would deliberately support any team that the British are playing against do you know what I mean but here's the broad point I'm trying to make the situation with why the Irish had this overt display of crack it was an anti-colonial defence mechanism the British were there at this tournament to be hooligans and to cause a bit of trouble. But also on top of that what you had was there was the Russian what were they called? Russian Ultras. So Russia were participating in this it was probably a World Cup but if it was Russia. It doesn't matter. It was a huge big football tournament in the last five years. Russia had this new breed of football hooligan called Ultras and they were pretty fucking hardcore and the thing with the Russian Ultras is culturally they grew up fetishizing uh, British football, football hooliganism from it's golden age of the 70s and 80s and they would have been familiar with like, I think Millwall and I think Chelsea they would have very much looked up to old school British football hooliganism but at the same time viewed the British they didn't understand that like football hooliganism it's not as bad as it was in the 70s and 80s in Britain so the Russian ultras very much wanted conflict with the British football hooligans because they're like the British football hooligans are the best in the world so we must beat them so there was a lot of tension around football hooliganism at this tournament so I think the Irish had overt displays of theatrical crack as a way to first of all to say fuck the Brits if the Brits are over here to throw pint glasses and to trash restaurants then what's the opposite of that we're here to sicken people with massive theatrical displays of kindness but it also it meant the green jersey became safe the police weren't fucking around at at those tournaments the police the riot police were out to crack heads and they were looking for British or sorry, for English uh, jerseys, and they were looking for Russian jerseys. So the Irish made the green jersey. <sighs> almost in, in a sense, it's, it's, the Irish became the UN peacekeepers. Like Irish, like we're a neutral country. It was, it was almost like an expression of our neutrality. Irish soldiers tend to be on peacekeeping duties. They're, they're not engaged in war. They're there around you know, Africa and some parts of the Middle East for humanitarian reasons to not to provide conflict not to be aggressive not to take over but to try and act as security to protect vulnerable people that's the role of traditionally the Irish army abroad we're not uh, an occupying force or an aggressive force so I think how the fuck did I get onto this the fuck am I doing talking about soccer I wasn't talking about soccer anyway I was talking about uh, this all started about me talking about the fucking five star hotel I was trying to understand Canadian culture lads yeah so we were in this fucking upstairs in the five star hotel and people are wearing Gucci bags and suits and it's what you'd call bougie and we didn't feel very fucking welcome put it that way people were when we were in the bar certain people were scowling at us and the scowl was as if it was like they'd come to this fancy fucking bar so that it, they could be surrounded by fancy and that so they could feel good about themselves that they could feel successful and wealthy and classy and all these things in this bar and people were just looking at us like we were insects like we were cockroaches like I, I like one woman pulled a face at us like of utter fucking disgust and we weren't Doing, we weren't necessarily being loud or roaring and shouting. We were just off an airplane and wearing shit shorts and t-shirts, but ultimately just being nice and being kind. And the staff fucking loved us because we're having crack. And I'm not. We weren't like in the corner screaming and roaring and disturbing the peace. It's just our presence uh, made people who had come there for. ...what I would view as quite fucking artificial reasons... ...which is I'm going to go here... ...and wear my Gucci... ...and be around other people who are wearing Gucci... ...like these are groups of people lads who... ...I'm talking an hour and a half just taking photographs of themselves... ...I'm dead serious... ...like there was one group of people... ...and we were sitting down... ...just getting our cans... uh, ...they were were serving cans here... uh, ...getting the cans sent to the fucking table expensive fucking cans 14 quid a pop just for a fucking a local lager but we were just having our cans sent to the table having great fun crack chatting and the table beside us of these people in their late 20s early 30s very wealthy an hour and a fucking half of taking photographs of each other for Instagram and not particularly having a lot of fun and I just found it really I found that depressing and then for them our very presence I I, I guess what it was is that we made the place not exclusive like we were residents in the hotel and this bar is in the hotel but it's not really a residence bar it's like a private bar in the hotel that's cool and people go to it we didn't know we're just like where's the fucking bar um, so that made us feel like shit, but I don't think that's a, a good reflection, maybe, of Canadian people. I think what happened there is we we met some Canadian pricks. Because the next night, here's a little yeah, here's the next thing. There's a little bit of culture shock I had about Canadians. So, the next night we were doing our Rubber Bandits gig. So afterwards, backstage my podcast guests this Sunday the Monsters of Sh- Schlock who are two Canadian lads who are they're like sideshow freaks, that's how they describe themselves they, they you know, stick nails into their tongues and shit and have, you know, body modifications and piercings and they, you know, refer to themselves as freaks they perform in the tradition of sideshow freaks that's what they do and they they heart themselves for entertainment and stretch the limits of the human body and all this carry on so they came backstage with us because we met them in Edinburgh a couple of years ago and they were our buddies we had a bit of crack so they came backstage to hang out with us because we hadn't seen in about four years so backstage at our gig we have maybe two slabs of cans right too many cans for three lads basically far too many cans because we have the understanding that sometimes people might come backstage and if they do we want to be able to give them cans so if we have a surplus of cans that's okay we'll only drink a couple for ourselves and if there's a lot left over then what you do is you go to the venue staff the security, the people behind the desk the bar people and you say to them there's a load of cans in there take them, take them home and that's a great way to say thank you to the bar staff it's a good way to do it sorry just checking there that I'm actually recording this yeah I'm fighting against the clock a bit how long have I been talking? 20 minutes so we have surplus cans so our Canadian buddies came back we're lashing into the cans we're having crack and after about 15 minutes we realise the fucking Canadians haven't touched the cans at all and we're horsing into the cans so then we said to him what's the crack you not drinking tonight or and, and basically w- because they were so uh, politeness I know is a thing in Canada because we hadn't offered them a can they would have considered it rude to take one even though it's like there they are on the fucking table it's like there's the cans lads loads you're, you're in the, the den of cans they wouldn't take one and were waiting for us to offer one and they'd gone 20 minutes with no cans until we noticed it and we're like oh fuck we didn't think that we had to offer ye cans there's loads and we're in the cultural context of cans being drank so so that was the only little culture shock I've gone or have done over here rest of the time I was just hanging out with Irish people and other than that I'm just working I can't believe I've done the first 20 minutes of this fucking podcast talking about soccer that's a first lads isn't it and I'd say anyone who knows the first thing about soccer is rolling their eyes at me not only unable to distinguish between the World Cup and whatever the European one is called which I don't even know and me not understanding the importance of the two and possibly thinking that Russia sure wasn't it was it in Russia was it in Russia did they have a World Cup look I don't know you know what I'm talking about most of that was about the psychology of crowds it was about post-colonialism and it's my hot take it's what I believe I believe that Irish soccer fan culture and the huge performative display of the crack is a collective unconscious attempt at breaking down colonial lines it's decolonising it's going we are not British because we are nice and their identity as as soccer fans is of nastiness and being pricks and vandalising so we're going to do the opposite which is we're going to vandalise you with kindness that's what the Irish fans were doing and it was also a way to establish a safe space in a hostile environment where the Irish fans too I think they were scared of Russian ultras Russian ultras who I said were looking for England fans you don't want the Russian ultras oh, they were like they were hard looking cons. I remember them they all had shorts and there were young lads in their fucking 20s like who did a lot of fucking going to the gym they were hard looking fuckers and all the British football. hold on with a helicopter all the British fans were just uh, men in their 40s who have had haven't done fighting in a long time and have had a few too many beers and then you've got these lads 25 years of age Russian fellas full of fucking muscles and agility and probably trained in the army and they had, uh, all had bum bags or fanny packs as you call them in America and Canada and with ball bearings inside them and they were belting people across the face with them and the Irish fans were afraid of that now there's also another theory that some people analysts viewed the behaviour of the Russian ultras in that World Cup as an actual form of non-linear warfare that it was state-sanctioned and sponsored hooliganism as simply a chaotic way to terrorise the West. And I believe that. I would truly believe that because I, I spoke about it on a podcast before. Russia changed, you know, Russia post Putin, they changed the game in nonlinear warfare, which are ways of antagonising and affecting and hurting and causing anxiety in your opponents without actually pulling a trigger or putting. Soldiers are even using the military. You know, you look at that poisoning incident there in the UK last year. You know, that just happened after Brexit, the, the Novichok poisoning. Like, what's the point of that? What's the point in sending Russian agents to Britain to a tiny village to poison two uh, Russian, ex Russian spies or whatever the fuck they were? Th- th- what that was is, if you think about it psychologically, it happened just after Trump had been elected and it happened, happened just after Brexit and the issue with Trump in particular is Britain no longer has a strong ally in the US not really Trump is too insane so Britain and the US now they're still allies but they don't have close ties because Trump is liable to start a trade war with Britain and then Brexit happens so Russia loves this destabilisation of old school Cold War western allies and I believe that the Russians poisoned those people in that English village it was to scare the fuck out of English people, it lets the whole thing about living in a western democracy is one of the great privileges that most people I don't mean everybody but most people, the great privilege you have is that at the very least you, you can feel safe and when the Russian government can come into the United Kingdom and poison two people in a little English village and leave, that makes the that breeds chaos it says to the English people, your safety is an illusion, look what we just did imagine that was bigger, look what we can do and when you saw a fear like that that type of fear is very easily malleable when it comes up to elections, you know so there's there's my hot take there I want to answer some questions this week I'm going to keep this podcast I'm trying to keep my mouth over the microphone so I'm not going too left and right because this is a, a stereo mic so I'm going to answer some of your questions James asks when are you coming to Glasgow will you interview Limmy I can arrange Baldy that means hash and also what are your thoughts on the dairy industry firstly am I coming to Glasgow yes there is a live podcast coming to Glasgow I don't know when it is or even if it's announced for some reason September is sticking up in my head I don't know is it announced yet but I'm 90% sure there there is a Glasgow podcast coming up will I interview Limmy fuck yes if I could he's number one on my list if I can interview Limmy in Glasgow yes I will Limmy even this week on Limmy is a, a comedian from Glasgow he's a genius He's incredibly creative and original, and um, I've been a huge fan of him for fucking years. And he seems like a good lad as well. Um, But yeah, Limmy was listening to my San Francisco podcast because he posted about it on Twitter, so that was great to hear. Because I think he's considering getting into podcasting. Uh, I can arrange Baldy. That's mad. Yeah, so someone handed me a fucking. Our tour is sponsored by a legal a cannabis seed company or something but anyways yeah someone just handed me like a grand's worth of weed the other day because I'm in Canada it's fully legal 100% legal and someone just said handed me an envelope and I opened up and it's like there's a grand's worth of weed right there so I'm like oh, what the fuck am I supposed to do with a grand's worth of weed I'm here for 5 days so I, I was very generous with it we would say incredibly generous with the weed and yeah, then we flew from fucking Vancouver to Toronto and there was a lot of weed and it's grand. It's like, that's legal. It's fine. Madness. Fair play to them. Um, yeah, cannabis is legal everywhere. You can walk down the road smoking a joint. If you walk down the road smoking a cigarette, same shit as in San Francisco. People will cough at a distance. This bougie bar that we have in our hotel with the people who are disgusted at our presence, um, you can't you can't even fucking vape there. Like I'm talking, there's a full outdoor area with a pool, all this crack. You're like you're outside. You can't smoke a fag there. Not a hope. I'd say get away with a joint. Uh, people love smoking joints here. Fair play to them. They smoke pure pure weed. They don't put any tobacco into it. But yeah tobacco here, it's 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 taken as a personal insult if you should dare to take it out and. they they refer to vaping as smoking Uh, there's been a few times I've been seen with my vape and I've been in a bar or or even at the venue and someone says no smoking and I go it's not smoke man this is just it's like a kettle it's just steam and they're like no no so I feel like passive aggressively going around with a fucking travel kettle and saying have you got a problem with that do you but um. What was the? What are your thoughts on the dairy industry? <sighs> I don't know we're probably over reliant, it. I mean, that's the interesting thing with cows, the environment. Like apparently, the big issue with cows, cattle, uh, and the dairy industry, and the, the environment, the big big problem is obviously the farts that are created. It's here. Ireland is is actually okay. Ireland is. Cows that are pasturing, uh, eating grass—it's—it's—it's it's, it's quite environmentally friendly as as global cattle shit goes. Now it's not great that so much Irish pasture was formerly meadows that contained pollinating wildflowers, but in like Argentina and Brazil, they're chopping down rainforests, filling it full of cows. Then the cows aren't being grass fed; they're being fed uh, soya. So more forests are being cleared to grow soya so that's you know the dairy industry isn't great and any look any large scale industrial exploitation of fucking animals or monoculture none of that is great for the environment um, we have to move towards a half and half situation it's it's, and it's not that hard to envision it's like my mother was telling me about Limerick in the 1950s Limerick in the 1950s you had your own pig out the back garden And any available space you had, you used to grow as much vegetables and produce as you could from the pig shit. A lot of your refuse went into the pig's mouth. And you had a self-contained unit that was relatively environmentally friendly. That didn't look after all your needs, but it looked after up to 40% of your needs. So people still went to the shop with reusable bags. People still got milk in glass bottles that you also reused. People ate and consumed less. People were more conscious of rationing. That's, that's a particularly... Sh- okay, at this point of the podcast, there was a, a helicopter sound right there. So I'm just going to choose that as the helicopter pause. There's going to probably be an advert that's inserted here. Okay, great. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that
1: fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
0: And um and then look, you know the crack this podcast is supported by Patreon you want to be a patron of this podcast well you can Pat- patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast yort back to toronto before i go back to toronto um a couple of footnotes for before this bit and after before um i kept referring to british soccer F- very foolish of me of-, of course i'm referring to english uh, soccer the england fans not necessarily welsh and scottish fans footnote for after this someone asks a question regarding the music industry um and Spotify, there's two answers I give. I compare I'm basically firstly I'm complaining about the inability for musicians to be able to earn money today in today's environment, okay? Um I go into detail about that. If you're wondering, Jesus blind, but why are you complaining about the mu- the money that musicians can earn yet you are in Toronto in a five-star hotel what's that about that is a rare situation because this tour is sponsored by a very generous cannabis company who seem to have a fuckload of money and they put us up in the hotel as, as a payment in kind Um, if we were booking the hotels we'd be getting as cheap as we could possibly get if we were booking it ourselves but this this company were very generous and as a payment in kind they just put they. we didn't even ask for it to just put us up in this lovely fucking hotel so fair play to them I also in talking about the scale of the rubber bandits I make comparisons to Tom Waits just to clarify I am not in any way comparing us artistically to Tom Waits we're not fit to lick the man's fucking boots he's a legend, he's a genius I'm not putting ourselves in that territory what I am saying is that in the early 70s Tom Waits was a a low to mid-size artist who would be relatively well known internationally amongst hipsters so that's the comparison I'm making it's um, a notoriety thing and not an artistic comparison God bless you very choppy sounding blades but I think that's where humanity needs to return to. That kind of 1940s, 1950s thing where... ...we are using available space. Like if you're lucky enough to have a back garden... ...maybe there should be a pig out there if you're going to be a meat eater. Have that pig eat your waste. Uh, Then once a year you slaughter the fucking pig and you... ...get a year's worth of pork out of him. If you want to continue eating meat and then you use the shit from the pig to try and fertilise whatever greens you're growing then you get familiar with canning your own vegetables preserving things you know if households were doing that across the world which like I said this is what was going on in up to the 1950s until we had mass consumerism and, and industrialization of our food products humans were getting on ok with this stuff and you mix and match that with going to the shop that's kind of I think where humanity needs to go or even in apartments, you know, using hydroponics to grow as much vegetables you can you can indoors, like vertical gardening and shit like that. LEDs. Solar panel on the roof. What was the question? Dairy industry. I don't know. It's shit, man. Maeve asks, the only time I ever get anxious now is when I'm hungover. I know you enjoy a bag of cans from listening to your podcast, but you've never mentioned it having any impact on your anxiety. Just curious if it does. Yeah, it does, yeah. Now, I... How, much, how many cans have I had this week I haven't really gone on the lash this week I, I've done four gigs and after each gig and during the gigs I will have a few cans but I'm minding it I'm not getting drunk five cans um, so that means I'm going to bed drinking a lot of water waking up the next morning at 6am fresh as a fucking daisy but yeah if I decide to do I try and keep it to once a fortnight now What I want to be like I'm going to enjoy some cans and some boldy but I'm going to have a hangover tomorrow morning if I do that the fear as we call it which is the fear isn't it's, 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 it, first off it's a combination of like if, if you were drinking in a social situation everyone wakes up the next morning and is like oh no what did I do oh no what did I say Oh no, did I do this? So that's one element of the fear where there is a legitimate reason of did I shame myself in public? I'm usually alright with that. When I get drunk, I just get uh, a little bit more friendlier and sillier. That's about it. You know, might wake up one of my friends at 3 in the morning and tell him to need to reevaluate the music of Sting. Um, some people drink, they might start a fucking argument, they might start a fight. Um, they might get very, very upset and have a bad night. If you're someone like that, you need to reappraise your relationship with drink. Simple as that. If, if, if when you drink, there is a massive negative change in your personality, I don't think, I don't think drink is for you. Simple as that. We all got to be aware of that. Some people I know, drink makes them very upset, or drink makes, uh, drink brings up memories of hurt, or if you know people who are in a relationship they drink and all of a sudden they're fighting about something from 6 years ago and it's all this toxic pattern if that's you and drink drink is not for you find something else if you drink and it just makes you have a little bit of a better time and you enjoy it and you have a healthy relationship and it does not dis- it's not destructive in your relationship towards yourself and other people work away I'm fortunate enough to be in, in that territory I also don't drink if I'm anxious or stressed or unhappy drinking for me has to be a serious fucking reward I'm, I'm rewarding myself for work done so when I go into some drink I'm yeah, I, I'm kind of going I'm allowed to enjoy myself now there, I have no stress nothing's going to come up because I don't want stress to come up when I'm drinking I don't want worries to come up or if I'm fucking on baldy certainly don't want that and you put a whitener worrying about deadlines a deadline whitener but yes I do wake up the next morning with the fear so most of my fear is a chemical fear um, which means I have a feeling of anxiety and dread and terror it's, it's the underlying hum of everything is not okay everything feels threatening and worrying what I usually do with that is I do use CBT around it now that doesn't stop the fear right the danger of the fear from drink is so you have this first of all like the, the reason it happens is because it, it's you know you've, you've drink is a depressant you drink a lot of drink and you, you've depressed your nervous system so the next day you're gonna have some pretty negative chemicals floating around your body you've also essentially poisoned yourself too you're not in a good state so it's normal for stress hormones to be released in your body and for you to experience that uh, as the sensation of anxiety. That's perfectly normal. But, if you are also predisposed to anxiety in your personality, you can wake up the next day with drink and the fear will trigger a panic attack or the fear will trigger greater anxiety and now you're dealing with not only the fear but actual anxiety. That doesn't happen to me because I'll use CBT around it. So I will wake up with the fear, which means the general general hum of anxiety, but it won't manifest itself as an anxiety attack. It won't manifest itself as extreme anxiety. It won't manifest itself as me catastrophizing over things. It will simply be a little feeling. And what I'll say to myself is, when I do feel the fear from drink, I'll go, Last night... I, I took a lot of depressants and now I feel depressed and that's okay and it will pass and what nice things can I do for myself today. So I will drink loads of tea and get a takeaway and watch nice stupid things on TV and make sure that I've planned a day of the fear. I will not do the fear when I've worked the next day. Fucking hell. Eight years ago we were gigging in uh no, we were in London and we'd just been working with Channel 4 and Channel 4 had some huge party on and we were invited and it was the first time we'd ever proper gone somewhere and it's like, here's all the free drink in the world so we couldn't handle that so we got all of us got really badly drunk foolish mistake Um, it got, I'll tell you this now it, it got so bad that by the end of the night when the drink had finished we ended up drinking special brew on the side of the road with a homeless man a homeless Irishman that, that's where that had gotten to we'd met an Irish homeless man and we were pissed and we said how are you getting on Mister crack spoke to him about his story and he said to us will you buy me a can so there was a fucking 24 hour Tesco this was back before England uh, had the rules on drink at 10 o'clock and we bought a lot of special brew and drank it inside the, the road but that, that Irishman and finished at about 8 in the morning, at which point we had to get into a car that was taking us to Manchester, which is about a six-hour journey. And it was one of the worst experiences of my life. Roaring hangover, extreme fear, and stopping every 15 minutes to vomit into a plastic bag. No crack. It's that cunt of a helicopter back again. Right. Dudley asks, Dudley, it's a cool name, Dudley. Don't meet a lot of Dudleys. Hi but Blind Boy, but what are your views on Spotify? Is it a useful promotional tool or a massive corporate ripoff? Spotify if, if you're a listener is brilliant because it's here's all the music in the world in one app. Um Spotify if you're an artist is fucking terrible. It's it's awful. Like we did a rubber bandits gig last night, but that's the first rubber bandits gig we've done since December twenty eighteen people keep asking me blind boy where are the rubber bandits gone you know have you quit and I'm like no we haven't quit Mr. Chrome is still around it's literally and I mean this you cannot earn money as a musician okay in my fucking early 20s we were able to be rubber bandits do loads of gigs and have the fucking crack because I'm in my early 20s I can afford to be incredibly poor and not earn money and and have just enough to get by. But I'm older now. I can't do that. Mister Chrome can't do that. We cannot earn a living from music, and we are we're, we're pretty fucking like. What is it? A hundred and fucking eighty million views on on fucking YouTube. However many million Spotify. Look, I'm successful enough as a music a music act that we can just go. How are you getting on? There's a gig in Toronto and it sells out in fucking two days. So we're at that level, which is mid-tier level. But, put it this way, the motorbikes, lads. We're at the the level of, uh, I'll say pro- professional success. Professional success, which is what, which, what you can measure in how popular you are. Like... Tom Waits in the early 1970s Tom Waits in the early 1970s was gigging the venues that we would gig when we go to London the venues that we would gig when we go to Toronto so we are at the level that we say someone like Tom Waits would have been in the early to mid 70s which is independent odd artist but Tom Waits in the mid 70s he would have been close to a millionaire probably just from record sales just from being a a a low to mid tier international uh, artist now in the 80s and late 80s he became huge but Tom Waits in the mid 70s was you know you'd really have to know your stuff if you're going to be known about Tom Waits so we're in terms of professional success Tom Waits in the early 70s level of notoriety worldwide which is I can call a gig in New York and it'll sell out in in a month or whatever Toronto whatever I want but like because of the way Spotify is like you can't earn money so you can only really earn money from gigs now there's only so many gigs you can do in Ireland so then you have to say well I need to do international gigs now but if you start doing international gigs as a mid-tier artist most of that money goes on simply getting there flights, hotels, whatever, so you're not really, like, we're we're not really earning that much money doing this gig here, this is, as I said, I said to the boys, let's essentially have a holiday and pay for it with gigs, so, when people say, where are the rubber bandits, not earning money doing the fucking rubber bandits, so therefore not doing a lot of gigs, not really having much incentive to release, like, we're working on new songs, we've got a couple of new videos that will be out. ...but they're time consuming... ...they're expensive... ...the Patreon type model... ...for some reason... ...doesn't really work for music... ...because I think... ...we expect music to be free... ...and we think of... ...also as well the nature of being a music artist... ...it's performative... ...you're there up on stage... ...you've loads of people screaming and shouting... ...and roaring and... ...you're the centre of attention and you see that and you we view that as look at all that adoration that must be success but your favourite artists I'm not talking big ones now but well, let's just take heavy metal as a genre because metal tends to have a lot of this your favourite heavy metal artists who are doing large gigs they also have second jobs they're working in, in Nando's in the kitchen do you know people who are famous this is how it is now for musicians unless you're Ariana Grande unless you're at that level but mid to small no, no 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 second job or fuck off and crowdfunding isn't really a thing for music because like I said a part of being a musician is the theatrics of it demand that you look kind of successful which is strange that's odd you have to look successful as part of the theatrics of it so then people go sure. So why would I give that person why would I donate to that person it, it doesn't clock as they need a donation so Spotify Spotify ruined it for the fucking artist millions and millions of plays you're earning nothing you really are earning nothing and it's the same with all facets of music I I, I often for the laugh I'll, if I get a royalty check I'll put it online just to show people how bad it is just to laugh at it to be honest we we had our, our song in Dad's Best Friend and the music video in the huge Hollywood film Spotting 2. Massive, massive film. In 2018, our royalty check for our song and video being in Spotting and I'm not joking. I put it on fucking Twitter because it was so funny. I got my royalty check, bo- both of us, both of us, for being in Spotting 2. Soundtrack and uh, film, 36 euros. For twenty eighteen, now in twenty seventeen, when the when the film came out, it was it was slightly more, but n- like nothing you'd talk about, not enough to maybe two months' rent, but like thirty six euro between us, and then four euro for our agent. So in twenty eighteen, I, the money, in royalties that we both earned from having a song and video in Trainspotting 2 was not enough money for either of us to be able to buy cinema tickets to see Trainspotting 2. So that's the reality of music. So, that's what I think of Spotify. It's it's only marginally better than... Like, let's be honest, Spotify exists because of illegal downloading. And I'm complicit in that. You know, I... I've I've illegally downloaded thousands and thousands of albums and music over the years because I started doing it when I was fucking 14 and I had this hunger for music and I loved music so much and, you know, I would buy CDs. You know, I remember having to save up 25 euro to buy a David Bowie CD and I'd have to save up, you know, maybe... It used to take me three... I'd be in secondary school, like, so it would take me three months to save up 25 euro to buy a David Bowie CD. And it was good. It was brilliant. It was a better way. If I spent 25 euro on a CD, like, I'm fucking listening to that CD from start to finish, and I'm not allowing myself the luxury of it being shit. So if I get an album back then, and I'm not short of it, I fucking stick with it until I understand it. Every so often you end up with genuine stinkers, and that was terrible. But... A lot of the time you end up with something that you don't like at all on the first listen, but you force yourself to listen to it and you end up discovering a classic. Like the album Discovery by Daft Punk. I got that. 25 quid. Had it on CD. Took it home, put it into the CD player. Hated it. Seriously considered bringing it back because I was sickened. I was like, oh fuck, 25 quid and I hate this. But I said, no, I'm sticking with it. It's one of my favourite albums of all time but when illegal downloading came about I was illegally downloading everything I could get my hands on and so was everyone I knew so I helped to create the system that now me as a professional musician that I suffer under like Horse Outside that was the last time really that fucking sold a couple of singles for that but really it's like no one was buying, it was 2010 so it was the end of CDs and no one really young people didn't have credit cards to go on iTunes in 2010 so a lot of people just legally downloaded and now Spotify's the new thing and everyone has Spotify but you don't earn it's 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 a a billionth of a penny for every play or a thousandth of a penny for every play no one's earning money from Spotify like even I think um, that song Blurred Lines Robin Thicke and Pharrell the one that's uh questionable themes around consent like that was one of the most widely played songs in the world on Spotify and I think they ended up getting 60 grand and like 60 grand's a lot of money but not really when you're talking about the biggest played song in the world 60 grand is not a lot of money then 60 grand will uh, buy you the cheapest house in Limerick if Robin Thicke and Pharrell want to go and have a, have a go at that So, yeah, that's what I think of Spotify. I think as well, there's a brilliant music journalist called Liz Pelly. She does some good work around Spotify and around the critique of it and the critique of what, not only what Spotify is doing financially for artists, but what Spotify is doing to how we listen to music. And this is where it gets... So no one gives a fuck about the radio anymore. Everyone uses Spotify. And people have stopped going to... St- people. What what they've found is that Spotify obeys the, the algorithm. So it's music that's listened to... I've got a little small gaggle of Canadians around me now and I don't know why this is happening. I'm at a cul-de-sac outside. It's a Sunday, like so there's this weird fucking library thing and I don't know what it is, but I'm at the end of a cul-de-sac on a bench, very quiet area, and there's all these fucking Canadians all on. Business suits. They're all after what? Yeah, they're lost. That's why we haven't had any interruptions. They came down to the end of this cult a second. They're going, who's this? I look like a spy. It's some government building or whatever... ...and it's a Sunday and it's mad quiet. Our hotel is in a fucking shit... Like, it's a five-star hotel and it's a lovely hotel... ...but it's in a queer old part of town... ...where it's just a little bit... Too far on foot, and I've no internet here. The SIM card I bought in, in America doesn't work here, so I'm going on Wi-Fi. So to be getting taxis then is difficult. So kind of just stuck, and it's twenty minutes to walk into town, which is a kick in the balls as well. So I'm in a queer old part, and it's a Sunday, so it's quite quiet. So a gaggle of Canadians come down to interrupt us there. But I'm here with my fucking recorder and my earphones on, looking like some type of spy. So they give me strange looks. Spotify, yeah. Um, look up the music journalism of Liz Pelly and the things she has to say about Spotify. She speaks about the spotification of music. She speaks about how people no longer even look for genres anymore. So if but most people who use now, I'm different because I'm I'm like a, a music head. I'm I'm. You know, okay. What is a positive about Spotify for me? I do like the algorithm. I do like that if I'm listening to an album, I can go into my Discover Weekly, and it will find an album I haven't heard that I will really like using algorithmically generated predictions. I love that. I'll be honest, I really do. But I use Spotify in that fashion because I'm a music nerd. Some people just they type in moods what the fuck is that helicopter doing it's circling the place like what's it looking for so I yeah uh, most people are looking for Liz Pelly's theory and it's quite similar to my theory of the podcast hug is that in our society today the housing crisis thing that's happening in most cities around the world right it's not just the Dublin thing it's happening everywhere young people are can't really pay rent and have extreme stress in their lives the way neoliberalism has made things that careers have disappeared so most people don't feel they have a career they just feel that they have a job right now but no true sense of security so most millennials will say so millennial is the older millennials I think it goes from 37 down to about 25 now and then you've got generation Y or Z underneath so Z and millennials we don't have certainty Okay, we don't have a sense of certainty we don't have I can have a career I can have a house we also have now an increasing awareness of global warming so you're like I don't know what it's going to be like in 50 years so it, it is very uncertain and how we live our lives is through the convenience of apps. So in our available time, we like we also too, on top of the uncertainty of our lives, we have Google, Facebook, the apps that we use, very much needing and want, wanting us to be emotionally reactive in order for them to make money. So the, we walk around the place with these boxes in our hands, where we look at, we get our news and our social media from, and the boxes need us to interact with them as much as we possibly can and the best way to do that is to appeal to our most base emotions of fear and jealousy and shit like that so our social media keeps us in a, in a continual state of anxiety because it needs us that way because then it's... is it B.F. Skinner? this is one of the things I cover in my BBC documentary that's coming out anyway but so Liz Pelley's theory about Spotify is this hyper-anxious society that we have of millennials and Generation Y. They go to Spotify and they don't type in genres, they type in moods. And the most popular mood on Spotify is chill. Like one of the terms that's used in our lexicon, in our culture, Netflix and chill. Although I think that means sex. It doesn't though. It doesn't. People say Netflix and chill means sex it doesn't it means two people in front of Netflix and getting into a box set and going will we have sex can we watch one more episode before we have sex and before you know it then it's two in the morning no one wants to have sex so Netflix and chill does not mean sex it actually means let's watch so much Netflix that no one's having any sex at all um but then so yeah the continual anxiety we feel from uncertainty about the environment about jobs about housing and about is that one of those fucking Canadian wasps on my leg? no it's a fly the Can- I'll get, get onto the Canadian wasps in a minute but we've so much uncertainty in, in the environment and all this shit and then these apps that make us feel this way continually as a feedback loop that we search for moods so we go into Spotify and we say not heavy metal not indie not hip hop we say chill Give me the chill playlist. Give me the relaxing playlist. Give me the I'm on my journey home from work playlist. Give me the running playlist. So we search instead for functional moods. And what this has done is it's making... It's pushing to the top of Spotify. For most people who use Spotify, looking not for music but for emotions, it makes everything a little bit magnolia. So Spotify is by creating a digital environment and marketplace whereby the the most successful music is the one that's most likely to make you feel a certain mood that removes a lot of artistry it removes challenging stuff it removes it, it, it the artistry it moves the artistry and creativity from music and it makes it much more similar to muzak which is background music which is wallpaper music of course, there's a place. I spoke about this before with New Age music. There is a place for functional music. There is a place for music that is wallpaper. There, there's nothing wrong with wanting to throw on some fucking smooth piano jazz in the background and just let it be there to feel a certain way. I do that. I do that myself. But I also make a lot of space for. I want to get into 70s New York punk. I want to see what that stuff's about. I make that space. Do you know? But it means that the artists we'll say the Tom Waits who in the 70s were trying to do something incredibly challenging and incredibly different they're now they're definitely not getting heard and the beauty of the internet is you think wow how democratic if your stuff is good it will rise to the top but the spotification model which is we are now using Spotify as a simple aid to alleviate us of our anxieties, then that's the crack. Like, look, 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 what I'm doing here. Like, I'm consciously, like, I'm I'm trying to be engaged and interesting in what I'm talking about, and I am talking with passion about stuff I'm interested in. I, I like to give you that content, but I'm also very conscious of. I've come to a park today. We have sounds. Unfortunately, there's no fucking birds, because we're in Toronto, and I'm surrounded by trees, but there's very little biodiversity. I was hoping for some birds, but I'm here in a park. You can hear the sound of the air, passing cars, ambient noise. Um, I try and keep an eye on how I speak, so that I'm speaking in a relaxing tone. And a lot of people listen to this podcast for what I call the podcast hug, which is... To simply take a space out in your day where you're removing yourself from the chaos of apps and the chaos of uncertainty. And that's a, a, a huge part of this podcast, is that, and I'm doing that. So I don't know, would you call this the Spotification the content? I suppose ASMR. Like ASMR is simply listen to a person talk about anything just to feel relaxed by it to escape the the hell of uncertainty and just your your mobile phone people listen to just someone someone talking about anything and the sound of their voice so I'm taking elements of ASMR aesthetic but trying to contextualise it within content that's actually engaging and interesting as well and a space for me like I, I, I like the fact now that I'm you know i sitting here on a park bench for a fucking hour on my own and I know technically this is work but it doesn't feel like work I'm just talking to you and responding to questions that you ask me and I'm enjoying it and it's good crack and the weather's lovely wouldn't mind a bit of a breeze helicopters coming around again to act the fucking bollocks can hear them in the distance here we go choppy bastard listen to him grow up attention seeking prick any more questions hello blind boy I was wondering if you know anything about ancient Irish food let me check how long we're into this now I haven't done a fucking ocarina pause or nothing I'll throw it in somewhere at random lads and you know the crack with uh, this podcast is supported by patreon alright patreon.com forward slash blind boy podcast for enjoying it you can be a patron give me the price of a pint price of a cup of coffee once a month if that's how you're feeling if you want to listen for free you can do that as well it'll be grand so let me check the time trust over the hour pint so I'm going to take one last question I need to get some din-dins before I do my live podcast as well I'm doing a live podcast tonight so I need a small bit of din um Hello, blind. Oh, great. It's a question about fucking food and I'm starving. I was wondering if you know anything about ancient Irish food. Yes. I can't remember. On last week's podcast, great feedback for that, by the way, where I had Dr. Billy McFlynn on talking about Irish folklore. Um, Ancient Irish food. You know, most people, when you think of Irish food, obviously the potato. Um, the potato was, a, was it was a bad thing to happen to us the potatoes you have to remember there's food can be broken into two categories lads and there's post and pre-Columbian Columbian meaning Christopher Columbus Columbus the great bastard who quote unquote discovered the new world a lot of food staples that we eat every day are, are they didn't exist before 1492 they didn't exist in Europe they were foods that were in the Americas. Potato is one of them. The potato comes from Peru. The potato arrived in Ireland, I believe, in the 16th century, some somewhere around Waterford. Portuguese sailors accidentally brought it in, and so the the potato started to grow brilliantly in Ireland. It was it was good. Other thing about a potato is that a potato is is it has everything: fat, carbohydrates, vitamins, nutrients. So people ended up not needing anything more than potatoes we became 100% reliant on it, the Brits were cunts it was a monoculture, the blight you know the crack, famine but prior to the famine, what did we eat? If you look it up, like a bizarrely uh, dairy based diet huge amounts of dairy, traditional Irish food prior to the potato and prior to like you have to view around the same time at the or too. It was around the same time that we would have had the plantations, you know, prior to the flight of the Earls. You still had an Irish aristocracy. Um, there was a lot of. There, there was like twenty different types of milk dishes. Um. There, what, what was there? There was like about five or bubbly sour drinks of milk fermented milk heavy cream uh, milk mixed with oats the Irish apparently used to love milk that was very tangy and sour so a milk based cheese culture there was bog butter I'm surprised hipsters haven't started making fucking bog, bog butter and, and, and fetishizing it bog butter was butter that was wrapped in straw I believe and left into a bog for maybe 10-20 years and matured And I don't know what it would have been like, but this was a delicacy. I'm sure there has to be some fucking hipster in Ireland who's making, down in West Cork, making 10-year-old bog butter and serving it to fucking Dublin restaurants. There has to be. So a butter-based milk, uh, buttermilk, sour, fizzy milk culture is what ancient Irish food was. That was the staple. Now, because cattle were a huge thing in pre-Norman and also kind of Anglo-Norman culture uh, the amount of cattle you owned denoted the power that you had that goes right back to Irish mythology you look at the ton, it's all about the person with the most power is the person with the most cattle so if you've got a bunch of fucking cattle and that's your power you're not killing them for fucking meat you're going to be milking the, uh, the milk out of them so there was milk mixed with oats Um, The other interesting thing too that a lot of people ask is sometimes when you go abroad you're in Spain or Italy and you look at all the delicious flavourful spicy food that they have and you know pasta, tomato sauces the Spanish with all their elaborate uh, spiced sausages and you look at Irish cuisine and you go "Ah, we don't have any of that we don't really have that and a lot of people think it's because of the famine because we only relied on potatoes we don't have a food culture um but the fact of the matter is we didn't really because we always had access to fresh ingredients and a good climate so the Irish if the Irish wanted cabbage they just took the cabbage out of the ground and boiled it and ate it and ate carrots and didn't need to there was long seasons you might get two seasons of fucking crops like do you know so the Irish didn't need to rely upon preserving things or worry about heat making things spoil quickly There was access to caves to keep things cold. They used to have forts and keep things have refrigerated units underneath forts. So an access to fresh ingredients meant you don't need to heavily preserve things. You had bacon preserved in salt, things like that. Irish weren't colonial either, so we didn't have a huge access to spices in the way that the Spanish and Portuguese did. They had access to spices that they could spice their meat with. So that's why the Irish don't have this large variety food culture thing Um, it's not because we were so poor we had no fucking food therefore it didn't uh, it's just fresh ingredients fresh potatoes fresh uh, boiled cabbage and why would you want to that stuff tastes grand alright that's over there I hope you enjoyed this Um, like I'm not letting a week go by without a podcast so if I have to record one in a fucking park that's what I'm gonna do that's what I gotta do to be honest the past month or two I've technically been almost on a podcast break because I've been doing either these type of podcasts or live podcasts I haven't had proper hot take podcasts that take three or four days of research to make because I've just been too busy and as well the listenership is naturally down in the summer too because like I said in the summer people kind of like enjoying their walk to work because it looks nice so they don't want to listen to podcasts they're just like I look out the window the weather is nice podcast listenership goes, ship goes up in September when the weather starts to get shit and people need the the therapy of it we'll say so I, yeah I've been on a bit of a break I've been doing the podcast in a day's work but once the deadlines are over and all that shit I'll be back to the regular boiling hot take podcasts with three, four days research into them that I can really have a good go at I'm looking forward to getting back to it I can't wait as well I'll have the new book coming out in a couple of months I'll be reading stories from the brand new book on the podcast really looking forward to doing that as well and yeah, this is my second attempt at a podcast this week I meant to say I was in Vancouver and I met a legend of heavy metal music Devin Townsend from a band called Strapping Young Lad ...and the Devon Townsend Project... ...and we very hastily met up in a cafe... ...and I set up my recording equipment... ...and... ...me and Devon spoke for an hour... ...and that was going to be this week's podcast... ...I was going to get the sounds of the traffic out of this... ...except it's me talking to another person... ...so what I had with me was... ...this recorder that I'm using now... ...and then also a separate condenser mic... ...that was going into it... ...and whatever bollock acting happened... ...Devin's mic didn't record... ...so... I can fix it I can but it means a good hour or two in my studio back home to get the quality listenable so that's why I'm horridly doing the fucking listen to so that's why I'm horridly doing this podcast in the park wasps so there's fucking wasps over here lads in Toronto huge bastards and their arses and their bodies are, are completely separated they're Just in the middle they have this one little line like a thread and they have these massive long stingers that look like it would penetrate your eye they're flying around outside my hotel window and I'm fucking terrified of one of these cons landing on me so that's another thing alright look I'll talk to you next week I hope you enjoyed this best of luck I hope there was a bit of a some more Canadians I hope there was a bit of a, a, a little environmental ASMR tingle for They've realized it's a dead end and it's the funniest thing in the world to them. It's just a dead end, lads. It's fine. We leave them pass. I'll talk to you next week. Best of luck.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby.